Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Trundlebed Tales Radio. Tonight, today's theme is going to be on aprons, at least an introduction to this fascinating topic. Uh, but before we get started with that, let's do a little housekeeping. And I just want to start out reminding everybody that if you want to call in, the number is 714-242-5253. That's 714-242-5253. Or you can call toll-free 1-877-633-9389. That's 1-877-633-9389. And you are more than welcome to call in and talk and ask questions. But if you'd rather, you can also use those same numbers just to listen to the show. So if you're out and about when the show's on, instead of at your computer, you can remember to listen that way too. Also, I want to give everybody a heads up that even though it was a little late coming this month, I did get my... uh, August 2011 Laura Fandom update done. It was uh, almost a full 15 minutes this time I had so much. And September's looks like it's going to be really full too. So uh, you can go ahead and listen to August now and September will probably be in the first couple days of the month and there'll be an awful lot to cover then because there's a lot going on in Laura Fandom in September. But before we quite get there, we've got one more program coming to you in August, and that's going to be uh, August 22nd at 9 p.m. Central Time. And that is going to be me interviewing Kitty Latane of Pepin, Wisconsin, who is a major force behind Laura Ingalls Wilder Days there in Pepin. Uh, she heads up the essay contest and is and is part of the Buckskinner's Rendezvous and has really been involved with it from the first. So I'm really looking forward to talking to Kitty both about uh, the past and history of the event and how it developed and also what they're planning that's a little different for this year. And I know there's going to be at least a couple uh, differences. So uh, we're looking forward to seeing Kitty and you can catch that live August 22nd or any time after that. So back to the main part of the program. Now, if you are a new listener, every month I try and do an episode that's just 30 minutes. That's me talking about one of my subjects of interest. Uh, and mostly around Laura Ingalls Wilder, or at least related somehow, but also other historic and social history topics, uh, one-room schools, historic foodways, um, and other things like that. 
then I try and do one episode that is an hour-long interview show. So the last couple months I've been taking my half hour that I normally do and instead doing little updates from the Laura sites I've visited. And we'll actually be doing that next month, too, when I talk about Pepin. But uh, those are just little kind of roving report scenes as it is. So getting a chance to have a month where I'm not going to a Laura site in one of those, I was trying to decide what topic to delve into, and I finally decided on aprons. Now, I can't say that aprons are one of my in-depth knowledge uh, items right now. I'm just really started digging into the subject, uh, although I do have a, I'm looking at right now at least a three inch thick folder that's my start on learning about aprons. And I am particularly interested because I always like it when two of my areas of interest overlap and aprons sort of takes on historic clothing and historic food waste. So I'm very glad to get to share a little bit about this and hopefully eventually I'll have a little bit more to share with you. Now we're going to talk about sort of the history of aprons and sort of their rise and fall. Because aprons used to be a much bigger part of life than they are now. If you think about them now, uh, most likely you're picturing a woman wearing an apron. But that wasn't always the case. Lots of professions traditionally wore aprons, even male professions. For example, uh, there was a butcher's apron. In fact, that particular style is still called a butcher's apron. Uh, that was normally white, and it would show how nice and clean they were until it got all bloody. Surgeons would wear similar aprons, and if you look at Civil War pictures, you'll see often the doctors, surgeons, uh, wearing similar to butcher-looking aprons covered with blood after the surgery uh, from some of those sort of action shots or nice clean ones if they're in the hospital. Uh, then there's also pictures of men with aprons that you see because they were printers. And printers' aprons tended to be more of a dark blue-gray, better to hide the ink spots. And quite often they would pair those with things they called sleeve protectors that would kind of, they were kind of aprons for your sleeves. They would go up over your arms. Because so, ink, if you haven't dealt with ink, uh, true ink is almost impossible to get out. It's just a mess to deal with. And printer's ink was heavy and thick and black, and it was not something you wanted on your clothes. So, of course, you'd wear an apron to protect it. Then there would also be aprons that would be used by farriers and occasionally blacksmiths. You'd see the pictures of them wearing the heavy leather aprons to protect them from their work. So they traditionally were worn by a much larger uh, area of the population than we think of today. Uh, but of course women did wear them too. And since I always like to, to tie things into Laura, Laura always liked a nice full apron and I agree with her. I like full aprons too. Uh, the three main types you see are those full aprons. Those are the ones that have the tops. They come around your neck and they have a sort of bib. Sometimes they call them bib aprons and then a skirt down below. And the one she was talking about, the skirt's pretty much the skirt of the apron pretty much covered up your skirt. It would come around at least three quarters of the way and would really hide most of your clothing. 
and uh, they had other versions. They had ones that were pin aprons that would have the same sort of bib, but instead of having ties, you'd pin it onto your dress. And there was a time when uh, it was a lot more common than it is now just to sort of pin your clothes together. There were the pinned up aprons. Those are the three types that you mostly see on women, although there is a great deal of variety within those uh, different models. Now, why did women wear aprons? Okay, I just got reported to me that my signal must not be too strong today that I've cut out twice. Uh, hopefully I haven't missed out anything important. Okay. I think I'm back on now. I'm sorry about the problem with the connection today. It's a problem with Skype. I don't quite understand why it's such a, a trouble. Anyway, what I was saying was that there are basically three types of uh, women's aprons. There's the half apron. There is the uh, full apron with ties. And then there's the full apron with pins. Now, why women wore aprons was... Uh, pretty obviously, to to protect their clothes. But that takes on a whole different meaning if you've ever done washing the old-fashioned way. If you've used a scrub board and um, even if you have a wringer, uh, trying to scrub your clothes and then wring the water out and hang them on the line, the heating up the water, I mean, it's just a lot of effort so you try and reduce the number of times you have to do that to a minimum. It's a lot easier to wash an apron, which has a lot less material than a dress. Also, uh, washing it less and having it protected also meant you had to replace your clothes less often, which if you're hand-stitching, it's a major investment to replace a, a dress. So, of course, you want to wear an apron and protect it. Uh, as much as you can. And in fact, I think that ultimately has been why you don't see aprons very much in uh, our world today is because of wash and wear clothing. Because it's so easy to replace clothing, people take a lot less care of it. Because it's so easy to wash clothing, people take less care of it. And so if you aren't feeling that clothing is a major investment, it becomes le much less of a good investment to spend time going to get something to protect your clothing. So I really think that's why, as much as anything, aprons have sort of disappeared for uh, from everyday life for a large number of people. Of course, the fashions of aprons definitely did change over the years, although it seems like they're always coming back. Uh, there were big pushes to renew life of the apron uh, in World War I, uh, 1917. There have an article here from the Ladies' Home Journal that declares that an apron is a housewife's uniform in her war on waste. 
And that's followed up by um, an article from the 1940s that once again says that uh, we return to the apron. Uh, discarded shirts make new aprons for economical housewives. And glamour is introduced into the apron. Aprons take on charm and practicability. But it wasn't just during wartime that these returns to the apron happened. For example, here in 1977, the New York Times features the latest designs in aprons because we're retying those old apron springs. An apron is included in efficient uh, kitchen equipment discussion in the New York Times from 1980 and they it just goes on and on 1990 smart cover-ups for festive hosts from homely to hot an apron's journey from 93 ah there is the wartime one the wartime apron achieves glamour from 1943 so the apron just seems to come back uh over and over again as time goes on and many different forms of the apron too because in 1917, oh, I'm sorry, it's 1920. In 1920, we've got an article here from Sunset Magazine that says that an apron enhances the beauty of even the most elegant evening gown. And, oh no, I'm sorry, I had the date wrong. That was 1908. Uh, because exactly 100 years later, in De on December 28, 2008, my local paper has Taiwan on. A once ousted as symbols of oppression, aprons are back with sass and attitude that you wear them with rhinestones and silk. Champagne giggle, for example, is one of the names of it. And another is making them out of shiny duct tape of various colors. So... Uh, aprons do tend to go in and out of fashion, even though there's definitely been a decline in wearing them. Uh, today, still, you mostly see uh, aprons on people doing holidays, even if they've given up. It's, it's much like cooking in that way, that you may see fancy cooking during the holidays that you don't see any other time of year, but you definitely... Um, see them come up at holiday time when people break out their Christmas aprons. But uh, for what an everyday apron might look like, that's just for a particular example. I've got an article here from the New York Times from 1943. The pinafore style and a durable blue denim piped with red and white striped gingham. The pleated pocket on the bib for handkerchief or package of cigarettes from Bloomingdale's, or the yellow organdy tea apron with the contrasting bands. It transforms the career girl into a hostess without a change of frock. It also comes in white and, and aqua. And a half apron with a newly shaped waistband. It is shaded with blue plums and green leaves on a ground of unbleached muslin. The piping is of blue from Saks, 34th Street. So aprons could be pretty elaborate. People would often have workday aprons, and they would have dress 
aprons. And if you were going to be out in public, say serving in church and dinner or something, you'd put on your best apron. Uh, in fact, again, to go back to Laura, since I always like to do that, when the boasts arrive unexpectedly, Ma gives away her best apron to Mrs. Boast. Luckily, the girls had been making her a new best apron for a Christmas present. So these levels of aprons were certainly con considered. The everyday homemade apron would have a lot of uses besides protecting your clothes. You, you'd use it as a rag to wipe a, a child's dirty face or quickly brush off furniture if companies coming in the door. You'd use them to help carry things. So if you were trying to gather up, uh, there's a beautiful picture uh, in uh, that's on the cover of one of the Laura books where Ma's got this whole apron full of baby chicks uh, in some of the editions. It's on, like on the back. Uh, and that is, you know, one of the things that they, they use for carrying things. They also use for carrying produce, uh, pretty much you named it. In fact, if you uh, read the Adventures of Huck Finn, there's a story in there where Huck dresses up as a girl and where they catch him is because he... When they throw something at him, he puts his legs together to catch it in his lap like a man, where a woman would spread her legs to, or her apron to kind of make a bag and catch whatever was thrown at her in, in that, uh, which I always think is a fascinating little scene there. There, uh, so that was sort of the home apron and the things that would, you'd use it for. But there were also dress aprons all along too, and even years after, uh, the aprons started to disappear from the home, it would still occur in these dressier occasions. For example, there used to be a series of parties in Cedar Rapids, and they called them apron dances. Now, uh, basically, I think how they started was that the women couldn't afford uh, when they started to have a new dress very often, but they could show up at a monthly dance wearing a new apron. And there were all sorts of patterns. If you go through the women's magazines of the 30s and 40s and, and even before that and after that, but primarily then, you see all of these fancy, elaborate uh, apron patterns. Sometimes they, there's one that is a handkerchief apron that they basically just use kind of a fancy handkerchief to make an apron out of it. Uh, there's one that uh, is, they take a big square of material and basically uh, make an opening in one corner and then tie it in back like you would tie a handkerchief, which is a, a different style of that. They had fancy patterns. They had rickrack. They had all sorts of different shaped pockets. And they would just do these sort of elaborate decoration things. Uh, there would also be times when you would make a special apron for an event. For example, uh, if I have a picture, and I just recently put up on my blog a picture of all of the women who helped with one of my mom's uh, wedding uh, showers and they made shower aprons. So everybody had a matching apron. And they definitely weren't for any much for purpose, even though the women were serving food. They were made out of this like crepe material that was pretty translucent. 
and uh, it just had ribbon decoration. And then because it was for a wedding, they'd gotten a bunch of those little plastic circle wedding rings and had one of those and a little knot of ribbon on each pocket. But that was pretty common that you would have make a special uh, apron to serve so everybody matched at uh, functions like weddings. So the fancy aprons and making them decorative kind of, I think, lasted longer than having them in the home. Although you still occasionally see it. Sometimes it's hard to date an apron. If you can't find, I mean, some of them you can just look at them and tell. But if you can't find a particular picture, it isn't always easy to tell. But one thing that can help is the length of the apron. Because aprons were only... Uh, it really looks unbalanced to have an apron longer than your dress. So normally your apron's going to be at least about four inches shorter than your skirt hem. Now sometimes it's more than that, but you can sometimes judge by the apron how long the skirt was that was worn with it, and that kind of gives you an idea on the date. The types of materials that were common at the time also can help with that. And sometimes just sort of the the general look of the apron. There's a a certain type that my great-grandmother wore, and she ended up wearing it till the time she died, so it was really... But it's when you look at it, and it just screams 1910. Uh, This one Sue's description I read, you really look 1940s just looking at them. Uh, And one that came out in 1950, again with the full skirts, and you can just tell it was made to wear with that kind of skirt and out of that type of material. So there's still, I think, a lot of work to be done on aprons. I've gone to two separate programs of women who had lovely apron collections but really hadn't done much uh, in the way of research or backing up or trying to document much. So I think it's an area that uh, is still... Looking for a lot of interest and kind of a champion. And I'm really hoping that uh, having done this introduction, I'll be able to come up with some more stuff and we'll be able to do uh, another program later on where we can give you a few more definite hard rules and facts and talk about a few more odd things about the apron, but uh, I wanted to make sure that I got in before I run out of time here that uh, I'm looking for dated pictures of aprons. So if you're going through your family pictures and looking for scanning things or anything like that, uh, look for pictures that have a date on them that have a woman wearing an apron, and I would surely love a copy of that to help with the research, and I've posted a couple of these on my blog. I've got a couple more that I hopefully will be posting soon. I'm also looking for stories about aprons. So if you have a particularly memorable story of something that happened while you were wearing an apron or that you're Uh, happened with your mom when she was wearing an apron or how you remembered it or if there was a particular apron or a particular style of apron that she uh, wanted or one that somebody had uh, made for her or made for a special occasion. I'm looking for any kind of apron stories. So uh, if you're interested in that, 
you can go ahead and email me at info at trundlebedtales.com. That's T-R-U-N-D-L-E-T-A-L-E-S dot com. And if you are looking for wanting to learn more about aprons yourself, uh, I've got a couple of resources that I have looked at to recommend for you. And one is that I have a couple of books here. There's a couple of children's books lately that have come out about aprons. There's one called Ma Dear's Aprons by Pat McCassick, M-C-K-I-S-S-A-C-K. There's another one by Eric Carle, who I'm sure you're all familiar with. He wrote The Very Hungry Caterpillar. And uh, his book is called My Apron, A Story from My Childhood. But there have also been some adult books that came out about aprons. There's one called Aprons, Icons of the American Home by Joyce Cheney, C-H-E-N-E-Y from 2000. And The Apron Book, Making, Wearing, and Sharing a Bit of Cloth and Comfort by uh, Ellen Ann Geisel, um, which is Ellen Ann is E-L-L-Y-N, A-N-N-E, Geisel, G-E-I-S-E-L. There's also uh, Aprons of the Mid-20th Century to Serve and Protect, which I think is an awesome title for a book about aprons. That's from 2001, and it's by Judy Florence, uh, F-L-O-R-E-N-C-E. And I also have another one, Gingham Aprons of the 1940s and 1950s, A Checkered Past, uh, which talks about a fad that they had for a while for aprons where you'd make them out of gingham and then you would do cross-stitching on them, which is uh, kind of an interesting look. And while I'm mentioning fads, the other one that I didn't mention earlier is for a while they had these plastic bands that came out so you didn't have to worry about tying your apron. You just sew them onto these flexible plastic bands and you could put those and they'd hold the apron on you with those. That was sort of a 70s thing. But uh, let's see. And then uh, besides those books that are actually about aprons, uh, I've done work going through well, as you might have been able to tell from the things I referenced, the New York Times looking for articles on aprons. Um, and there's quite a few references in there. It's amazing how often an apron rated their whole uh, a whole article. Uh, there were stories about people making aprons, stories about people selling aprons uh, as early as 1920. I have one. So... Uh, it's an area that there's a lot to be said for. I also, when I get a, a women's magazine, an older one usually because it has a, a Rose article in it or something about school lunch, or um, I actually even have some in here that are from teacher uh, magazines because at one time apparently there was a movement to I don't know if they either women if teachers were actually wearing teacher aprons or if they were just trying to get them to wear teacher aprons it's a little hard to tell from the, the two stories I've had but apparently that was a thing for a while too and 
besides that, you can also find, oh, and if you go through those women's magazines, you'll find lots of pictures of apron, especially in the ads. And I've been collecting those too in hopes that I would eventually be able to identify sort of trends uh, in in aprons and help people date them a little bit more. Uh, the, also, you can find there are reprints of the uh, Sears, some of the Sears catalogs, uh, some of the uh, Montgomery Ward catalogs. I even have one from Bloomingdale's, and you can see the patterns that they were selling for aprons, which I think, and and in, and then in in sometimes they, you could buy the entire apron as well. So I think it kind of gives you an idea of the sort of thing people were really wearing. So I think it was kind of a an, an interesting subject that has a lot of room to be explored yet. Um, and there's, I hope to be able to report back on it. So if you have any pictures of aprons, if you have any stories in aprons, and I'm currently developing a survey, like my one-room school lunch survey, about wearing aprons. So if you have any suggestions on questions even that you think I should include in that kind of survey, I would be most glad to hear that. I'm sorry we had kind of a, a bad connection today. Um, I really hope they get that system straightened out soon. Um, I will definitely listen to the, to the tape, and I may end up uh, having to do a little update because I know it cut out at least three times. So hopefully uh, you were able to hear most of what I was saying. And um, if you missed anything really important, look for an update a little later. And in the meantime, thank you for joining me today for Trendle Bed Tales Radio. And remember that my next episode is scheduled for August 22nd when I talk to Kitty Latane of Pepin. Thank you very much. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.